Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of God, the compassion, the merciful. I am very grateful to God for giving me the blessing of being here with you tonight. And I am also thankful to the organizers and all the participants. I pray our session tonight would be uh, beneficial for all of us and help us better understand the plan of God for the unity of humanity. As you heard, this is not the first time I'm coming here. I think the first time I came to Conrad Grebel College was uh, in my first visit of Canada in 2004. And I came here and uh, late Professor Jim Reimer uh, also asked me to talk. I talked about justice from Shia perspective. And then with some of the colleagues, we went to his home to have lunch together. And then I kept coming again and again. And one incident was 2007 also. We had Shia Mennonite dialogue here. And also, I came a few years ago to take part in Bridge Folk, because we had Shia Catholic dialogue and Shia Mennonite dialogue and Mennonite Catholic dialogue. So we thought, let's see if we can have Shia Catholic Mennonite dialogue or trilogue. So with uh, Father William Skudlarek and Susan Harrison, we came and we had a discussion in British Folk here. And in the last also two years, in March 2016 and 2017, uh, I had lecture in Lutheran Seminary and before that we had visits and we have very good relation and many of our students have been here. So I'm very happy to see all the colleagues and also members of the Muslim community and uh, Shia community and universities and my very dear friend, Sheikh Shafi Khuda, his father and all people who are here. So it's very uh, like family meeting for me here. I don't feel I am a stranger. Before I talk about my main topic, unity of God and unity in God, maybe it's good to share with you a little story how this topic came to my mind. As Bryce said, I am very much involved in dialogue with different groups of Christians and with some of our Christian friends who are Focolare movement, we are almost for 20 years in touch with each other. So it started when I was in the UK and I was in Manchester, I was doing my PhD, but I wanted to know more about Christianity. So I tried, keep knocking every door. So one of the doors which were opened was the door of the Focolare. So we started having relation. And then I kept trying, uh, visiting them in different countries. So the same that I have very close relation with the Mennonites in many countries. So with the Focolare also. And now with the Lutheran, uh, so this is a new addition last few years. And just in October, I was in uh, Edmonton. And one of the things we had was 
I spoke in the Lutheran Church for the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. So thanks to God, I am now having more and more Christian friends. So with the Focolare, after 20 years of relation, and lots of visits and uh, you know, sometimes extended programs, then once I said, to the president of Sofia University, which is for them, it's in uh, Lopiano near Florence in Italy. I said, we all try to reach unity. We feel it's our religious responsibility and duty to work for unity. Thanks to God, we are not people that we think God wants us to divide people. <laughs> Because there are people who think God wants them to divide people and to partition people. But we are committed to unity. But it seems to me we are somehow stuck. We don't have enough of resources and experiences and policies and you know, strategies to bring unity. We have been just stuck at the level of talking to each other. And I said, I think if we can prove to God that we are really trying to understand his plan, God is going to guide us. Because God would not refuse to guide people who sincerely seek guidance. The Quran says, وَالَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا فِينَا those who struggle in our way, we will certainly show them our path. So I said to my friend, Piero, if we can demonstrate to God that we really want to understand his plan, God is not going to let us down. But I think I cannot say to God, that I really tried my best if I only discuss with my Muslim friends and I only read Muslim resources. And perhaps you the same. You cannot say to God, I tried everything possible if you only discuss with your Christian friends and use Christian resources. So I said, let us sit together and think together and invite God to guide us but not putting any condition that God you should talk to me I tell the other party what you want this is the problem that we have we don't want God speaks we want God to speak from our mouth and from our scripture and then we justify because we want to have the privilege or you know but this is restricting God. This is putting condition for God's grace coming. So I said, let us sit together and discuss humbly and just say, God, please guide us. It's up to you. You want to tell me your plan, tell him your plan, tell someone else your plan. Just let us understand what you want. And he welcomed the idea. So he said, we should give it a name. What should we give to this new little project? 
and without thinking in advance, I said, wings of unity. So Christians and Muslims, like two wings, working for unity. He welcomed the idea, and we did agree to have every three, four months a meeting. This is after 20 years of knowing each other, trusting each other, understanding each other. Now we want to leave all the formalities aside, just sit together, share our ideas and thoughts, and ask God to inspire us. So for the very first meeting, then we chose the topic of unity of God and unity in God, which helped me a lot myself and uh, was very good and clear way of articulating what we want. Just this topic by itself tells a lot. So we started this over there. Then we started few projects. One of the projects we had together was in last August, we had some 20 Muslim youths and 20 Christian youths together in a summer course in Northern Italy and we talked to them about unity of God and unity in God. And what was amazing was the way these youths responded. We were together for 20 years. They were not together for 20 years. But this is the beauty of the lake of unity. If you manage to make this lake, then people can quickly dive into the lake. They don't need to be building another lake, they can, this is our road to pave the way. And I said to our friends, what is amazing here is that these youths who have come very close to each other, they are religious youths. Because sometimes people who are not very practicing and religious and religion is not very important for them, they can easily get along. But people who are religious, they may find it difficult if they belong to different religions or even different denominations. But it was their religiosity, but in this perspective that brought them closer. And then there was an event we had on the top of the mountain. And some of the youths were just naturally sitting on a cliff and praying to God. And then other youths joined them. Muslims, Christians praying to God. And later they said that was one of the best experiences in their life. One of the Shia youths from Montreal said, I had such a tranquility at that time that I said to God, I want to die the day I die with this condition. And this is amazing for me, that when in your private space with God, presence of a person from another face is not just tolerated, it facilitates for you. So this is what we want to reach. That a Muslim or a Christian in his 
relation with God finds the other person helpful. And not just someone that, okay, we have to tolerate. I wish they were not here, but now we have to work together and live together peacefully. No. So, this is a little background about what we have started. So far we have had four rounds of Wings of Unity, and the next one is going to be in April. And we have also documented some of these talks. I have a few copies of this I will give you, uh, maybe to its uh, institution. So this is the first volume, and my first three lectures in round one are here. And I want to share with you a little bit of the ideas here. I don't want to make you tired, but just to open up the discussion. So, my understanding is this, that God is the one. We all believe in one God. We are followers of Abrahamic understanding of God. We are monotheistic. We believe in one God. But oneness of God is not just a doctrine that along other doctrines you have to believe and hold. Unity of God is a very fundamental doctrine that would shape and form every aspect of our understanding of religion and every aspect of our understanding of ourselves. One of the great Shia scholars of 20th century, the late Kashif al-Ghita, he was in Iraq, he has many books. He says, Islam is built on two words. Bunya al-Islam ala kalimatain. Kalimat al-Tawheed wa Tawheed al-Kalimah. Word of unity and unity of word. Islam, and this is not of course exclusive to Islam. He spoke on behalf of Muslims, but I think people of other Abrahamic faiths can say the same thing. We believe in one God, and then we should get united around one God. The plan of God for humanity is unity around the truth. The Quran says, لَوْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ عَلَى Had God wanted, He would have brought all people around the truth. But God would not force. This is one of the beauties of God's wisdom. He has a plan. He may share with you his plan, but he asks you to implement it. He doesn't impose his plan on anyone. He wants us to be united, but he says, now is your turn. The Quran says, Kana nasu ummatan wahida. All people were one nation. So United Nations is not something new. 
We used to be United Nations before, but now we are United Nations. But we were United Nations. People were one nation. There were no divisions, there were no borders and partitions and walls. But when social, political, economical relations developed, then unfortunately people were not able to maintain that unity. You know, sometimes when you are a small family, you are united. When you become big, or when you are a small college, you are united. When you become big community, it's very difficult to maintain unity when you are growing. So people were divided. Then Then God sent the prophets to show people how they can be united against their differences and diversity. And what happened was, first people get united again. But then after some time, they started dividing themselves around the message that that prophet brought to them. So a prophet came and united people, then people started fighting. What did that prophet tell us? We understand it this way, you understand it that way, and then it started fighting. So God sends a unifying figure and unifying message, but then people start fighting even over that. And this is an ongoing process. In particular, God tells us about Prophet Muhammad, that people used to suffer from division, enmity, to the extent that the Quran says, Kuntum ala shafa You were on the edge of hellfire. In Medina, which was called Yathrib, there were two tribes, Aws and Khazraj, killing each other for many years, and they were tired. They went to Mecca and they invited Prophet to go there and bring reconciliation to build peace among them. And God says, it is God who unites the hearts of people. If you give all the money and spend all the money of the world, you are not able to unite people. But it is God's mercy, guidance, and your love under God that can establish unity. But now you see what happened after the prophet. The same people who were united, then started disagreeing and differing and then dividing. What did prophet leave for us as a legacy? And you see, up to now. The same is with any religion, Christianity, Judaism. We have differences before, and then we come to commonalities, then we have again differences. So, God has one plan, and unfortunately we have another response, which doesn't match with the plan of God. So, in this book, what I have tried to do is First, talk about significance of unity of God. 
unity of God in Islamic theology, in Islamic philosophy, in Islamic mysticism, in Islamic ethics, in Islamic politics, in every aspect, unity of God is reflected. We have two stories and two hadiths, one from Prophet and one from Imam Raza, the eighth Imam for the Shia Muslims who is, uh, whose shrine is in Mashhad. One from the Prophet. When the Prophet was in Mecca, he used to tell the pagans, Say, there is no God but one God, and you will be having salvation. That society which was full of problems, you know, when historians refer to that pre-Islam society and culture, they say it's the culture of ignorance and the age of ignorance, al-jahiliyyah, because they not only had no education or literacy, they were very weak in moral values. There are many, many things that maybe you have heard, how they were fighting, looting, burying their daughters alive, and many things like that. So, Prophet, with all the knowledge that he had of these problems, but he was so wise that instead of dealing with thousands of problems at one time, he identified the main problem. And that was not being devoted to one God. He said, if you really wholeheartedly serve one God, you will have everything. This was his strategic plan. We have something similar from our eighth Imam. You know, our eighth Imam was in Medina. And the Abbasid Caliph of that time, Ma'mun, had changed the capital from Medina to Marv, which is now in Afghanistan. That was part of Iran. And because he was afraid of popularity of Imam, because he was not a Shia, and Imam was a Shia and he was a grandson of the Prophet, progeny of the Prophet, very popular, very knowledgeable, respected, and he was away from Medina, he was worried. So he asked Imam that you must join me. So Imam had to leave Medina towards Maru. On his way, he passed different cities. One city is Neishabur. Some of you who have gone to Iran might have visited Neishabur. You know, we have some famous poets like Khayyam from there. It's 130 kilometers away from Mashhad. So when Imam arrived there, there were thousands of people. They gathered around him, and majority of these are Sunni Muslims, they are not Shia. Neishabur 
was not at that time a Shia city. Actually, most of Iran up to the 10th Islamic century were Sunni. So he was surrounded by Sunni Muslims, but who are lovers of Ahlul Bayt. Because thanks to God, all Muslims, Sunni Shia, have lots of commonalities. One of them is they love the household of the Prophet. So they ask Imam for a hadith, a saying of the Prophet. I just say all these things because I want to try to imagine what would be your selection of hadith in that particular moment. When we have a tyrant caliph who is ruling Muslim state and he's forcing you to leave the holy city of Medina and go there and there are thousands of people there who are not Shia but they respect you, what do you want to tell them? Imam mentioned the famous hadith of golden chain. He mentioned from his father and grandfather, finally the prophet, prophet from the Gabriel, and Gabriel from God. Kalimatu la ilaha illallah hisni. Faman dakhala hisni, amin a'adhali. Word of unity, to believe in one God, is my fortress. Whoever enters my fortress, would be saved from my punishment. He said only this. And then he moved, and then he stopped. There are conditions for that. You cannot just say, I believe in one God, and then do all the mischief. When you say, I believe in one God, then it has lots of implications. You cannot be selfish and believe in one God. You cannot be jealous and believe in one God. You cannot be tyrant and believe in one God. There is contradiction. Because if God is the sole provider of good, and if He is the creator of all, so why you want to have monopoly? Why you want to cheat? Why you want to deprive some people? It's impossible. So, unity of God is such a fundamental thing. You know, we as Muslims, have principles of religion. We call usul al-din. Sunni Muslims, Shia Muslims have different articulation. Shia Muslims say we have five principles of religion. Five principles of faith. One is unity of God. Not even existence of God. Not knowledge of God. Not power of God. Not wisdom of God. Not will of God. Although God has many attributes. But unity of God. Because God is God of everyone. That's so fundamental. But now the question is, God wants us also to be united. When it comes to his creation, he has a plan. And when it comes to his legislation, he has a plan. In his creation, some people may think, God in his creation actually didn't help us with unity because he gave us different colors, different ethnicities, different languages. So maybe he didn't want us to be united, otherwise he would have created us the same. 
But actually the Quran says the opposite. Quran says God actually made us into different tribes and nations and gave us different colors and languages so that you can identify with each other and relate to each other. Imagine if you were just mass produced six, seven billion people who look the same. How could we relate to each other? It could be a disaster. This beautiful mosaic that God has created, this colorful creation, is not for one part saying I am better than the rest, or one part trying to get rid of the rest. It's for every piece and part to understand that they are better off in a larger unity. You know, if you have a mosaic, and we have used tens of colors. How ignorant it is for one color to say, I want to have control and make every other color like me. That just becomes rubbish. Any masterpiece, if you just make it just plain, one color, it's not going to be a masterpiece of art. Unfortunately, we didn't get it right. We thought, if God has created us white and black, it means that one of us is better, one of us can enslave the other, or black says, you know, we are better than white, because nowadays, unfortunately, racism is everywhere. You can be white and be racist, you can be black be racist, you can be Eastern be racist, you can be Western be racist, because unfortunately, we don't understand that we are all equally human, and God has left in all of us a treasure which is unlimited. No one has more or less. We all have unlimited treasure in each of us. So, the plan of God in creation is that we can better understand each other, we can know each other better, we can get united. When it comes to his legislation, to revelation, to sending messages, scriptures, the same plan. In my speech last year, when I talked about the concept of people of the book in Lutheran seminary, I explained that in the Quran, we have sometimes the expression book and sometimes books. We have Kitab and we have Kutub. And some people have not understood the difference. My humble understanding is this. That when it comes to what God has sent down, is one religion, one message, one book. But when it comes to what people have in their hands, different religions, different scriptures. The Quran says, Ja'athum Rusulluhum Bil Bayanate Wazubure Wal Kitab al Munir. Anyone who knows Arabic would understand that naturally it should have been said Kutub al Munira. 
Because bayanat is plural, zobor is plural. But when it comes to the book, God says, Al-Kitab Al-Munir. The illuminating book. Not illuminating books. Or we say, you know, Ahlul Kitab, not Ahlul Kutub. There is one book. Torah, Gospel, Quran, Psalms. These are names of different representations of one book. Like different editions of one book. But we think, oh, there are different books. There are different religions. Unfortunately, the way religions are taught to us and we have accepted this is we have separate entities. Judaism is one religion. Christianity is another religion. Islam is another religion. Even we go further. Inside each religion, we try to partition and say, no, actually Islam is only Shia Islam, or Islam is only Sunni Islam, or Christianity is only Catholicism, or Orthodox, or Mennonite, or whatever. As if these have come like this from God. As if God has sent down things like this. But what we understand is that God has sent only one religion. One message. Details can be different. Quran says, We have sent to all nations a messenger. To serve God and avoid the devil. Don't do wicious things. All prophets came with the same message. Sometimes I'd say to my Muslim and Christian friends, I said, could you find any place that a prophet says, I have brought you a new religion? Do you have any reference that Jesus says, I am founder of Christianity, or Moses says, I am founder of Judaism, or Prophet Muhammad says, I am founder of Islam. I brought you a new religion. God has sent a new religion. We don't have such a thing. It's one message. Every prophet, every messenger asked us to submit ourselves to the absolute truth, absolute beauty, absolute love, absolute mercy, absolute light, which is God. Yes, when it comes to details, how to say our prayer, how to give charity, we may have differences, but the core of the message is the same. The Quran, when it comes to Prophet Muhammad, says he is a follower of Abraham. If he has brought a new religion, how can he be a follower of Abraham? The Prophet was a follower of Abraham. Abraham was a follower of Noah. So, this is one path. Every Prophet respected previous Prophets and informed about 
coming prophets, there was no conflict, no war, no separation, no discrimination. In the Quran, we have this verse that we keep saying after our prayer that Believers believe in all prophets, all the message, all the scriptures, and they don't discriminate against any prophet or messenger. So God has given us one religion. Sometimes I ask people a little, as a little challenge. This question can be for Muslims, Christians, and Jews. If Abraham comes today, will you try to convert him? What are you going to do with Abraham? The Quran says we have to follow Abraham. If you want to convert him and say, unless you convert, you are not accepted, this doesn't make sense. He is the champion of faith. He is the patriarch. How can we say, no, Abraham has still to work hard to reach one of us. Faith is not a matter of the names that we give. Faith is a matter of how much in my heart I am happy to accept the truth. How much I am open to God's will. How much I am happy to submit myself to the will of God. This faith. Unfortunately, sometimes or many times, we don't focus on this and we focus then on the things that if we are submissive we are supposed to do. Like for example, if a child you know, wants to become a doctor, how do they become a doctor? They don't learn anything about medicine. They don't learn anything about the ethics of a doctor. They just put on a white suit or green suit in different countries. They have different uniform and take some equipment and I am doctor. Some of us think face is like this. Just put a uniform, do some routine, you are faithful. But this is not to be faithful. To be faithful is to submit your face to God. Aslama wajhahu. Lillah or illallah. We have to submit ourselves to the will of God. I sometimes say, there was a time, and unfortunately still maybe, we have traces of this today, that people from different denominations, different schools of the same religion, used to not recognize each other as believers in the same faith. We have had this problem in Islam and still we have in some places. In Christianity, the story of Reformation is very 
clear example how Christians from different denominations did not recognize each other as Christians. The same is in Islam, the same is in Judaism. What happened that now still they have the same theological differences, but they recognize each other as fellow Christians, fellow Muslims? What has happened? Today, you can be a Catholic or Protestant or Orthodox. You still hold your positions. You have not given up your ideas, but you recognize the other person also as a Christian. Say, my brother in Jesus. Or Sunni Shia, the same. Many Muslims, majority of Muslims, recognize each other as brothers and sisters in Islam. What's the difference between this mentality and mentality of the people who cannot see each other as adherence to the same faith? I think the whole thing goes back to against what common thing you check your differences. Because differences have no fixed value. It's always relative. With what you are checking and comparing and weighing these differences. If we forget those important common things that we have, then we don't see except differences. If for us, as Muslims, to believe in God is not important, to believe in the Prophet is not important, to believe in the Quran is not important, to have the same Qibla is not important, to pray and fast is not important, just to be Sunni or Shia is important, then we cannot see each other as Muslims. Because only this matters to us. So suppose if we have ten things, and in nine we are in agreement, we forget all those nine and say, because we don't agree in this case, we have nothing in common. I don't know if you have had this experience. You know, sometimes people who have family problem, husband and wife come and, you know, they come, you know, for advice or they send one to be separated. What's the problem? We have nothing in common. Two people have lived together 20 years, 30 years. They have children. They have made all history together. They say we have nothing in common. Do they really have nothing in common? Or those differences have become so big in their mind and heart that they cannot see what common things are there. So, if we can today, thanks to God, we can be Muslims from different schools and still see the common Islam, we can be Christians of different denominations and see common Christianity, why we cannot be believers in one God and see our common point at the same time you can have your differences. 
And now I have another challenge for you. If I ask you how much you differ and how much you have in common, how do you answer this question? Some people start giving a list. They say these are our common ideas, these are our differences. We count them. We have 10, for example, common points, 10 different points, or five different points, or 20 different points. They just count. Do you think this is reasonable? No. Because these things can be very much different in their significance. You cannot just list Sometimes one doctrine, for example, between Mennonites and Lutherans and Catholics might be tens of differences. But are these tens of differences as important as your faith in Jesus, in Trinity, in crucifixion? It's not the same. This is so fundamental that you say even if these are fewer in number, these are more important for us. So, if you want to understand the significance, you have to see how much these elements are significant in your understanding of what you are and what your position you have with God and what role you have to play. So now my question is this. As believers, as faithful people, how much significance you give to believe in God? How important it is to believe in God, God of Abraham, God of Isaac and Jacob. How important is that is it for you 50% important, 10% important, 90% important? I think for me, this is more than 99% important. Everything is to believe in God. Yes, if I believe in God and try to serve God and submit myself to God, then I try to do my best to understand what's the will of God. So now, if I have a Muslim brother who is actually from my blood, and I have a Christian friend who is not related to me in blood, but my Muslim brother is not submissive to God, and there is a Christian who is submissive to God. Which one should be closer to me? If submission to God is the main thing, so someone who is submitted to God, even if from another school of Islam or another religion, he should be closer to me. Adam had two sons, Abel and Cain. The same mother, father, the same 
and blood. But they were very far from each other. Because one was submissive to God, one was not. So, I think we have to revisit our theology and spirituality and try to give God the position that God deserves. Unfortunately, we have marginalized God. And we brought so many theological, technical differences before God. And we first tried to fix these things. At the end, if there is time, we talk about common God. But common God is everything. So, if we understand unity of God properly, then it's impossible not to move towards unity. People who are closer to God, they love people and they try to bring them closer. People who are far from God, they try to divide people. It's like, for example, if you are very close to father or mother of a family, what do you do with the children of that family? If you love someone, you try to keep his family or her family together. Not that you cause division and separation between them. If we love God, we should try to bring children of God together. So, this was a brief description of what we are trying to understand. And thanks to God, we have reached very important points about truth, about mission, about universality of faith. All these things we are discussing one after the other. So I think I stop here so that we can have more time for discussion and interaction. And thank you very much for your attention. Thank you.